0: Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. My name is Alan Bradford, coming to you from Knoxville, Tennessee. And as always, Terry Ishii, coming to you from Austin. How are you doing, Terry? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today? I'm good, except I I will say this, man. uh, As we're recording this right now... um, uh, again, we just said Knoxville, Tennessee, and Austin, Texas, and Texas and Oklahoma are thinking about making a move into the SEC. So I'm a little—I don't know what to think about it yet. Um, I'm still a little like, ah, do I want this? Do I not want this? I don't know. That's right, the big boys are coming in. <laughs> the big boys are coming in. Yeah, yeah Oklahoma, uh, who has basically you know ripped off most of Tennessee's roster this last year, and so yeah, Oklahoma's coming in, and then there's this other burnt orange UT. Little kid brother, UT, right? Oh man, whatever. (laughs) Just (laughs) we we give Tennessee a
1: lot of grace because you guys helped us out with the whole Republic thing. But it's like the SEC may like squash that. It may be like, okay, those days are over. Tennessee is now a rival.
0: Let's let's do it. Well, it's still early. We'll see where it goes, but. We're kind of excited to introduce to you one of our Forge hub leaders. He leads Forge the Land. This is Jacob Hoyer. How you doing, Jacob? Great, how are y'all doing? Good, man, it's good to have you with us. We've been loving kind of introducing and interviewing our different hub leaders from around the country and just introducing you guys to the world. And so let me give you a little background on Jacob. So obviously he does lead our forge the land hub but he's also a pastor at wellspring church we'll get into that here in a little bit and then also your i don't know the side hustle that you got going on is clarity navigator um you're going to kind of unpack that for us here in a little bit but my first question for you man is how did you actually get connected to the forge tribe
2: so we my wife and I led the planting of Wellspring Church, launched worship back in 2015, and even before that, we we had a, we existed in the short-term missions world. So when we started the church, we the dream for us was how can we build a church of missionaries? Uh, we had experienced short-term missions in our young adulthood, and when we say like our our program was a one-year program for 21 to 35 year olds, and we found that. Uh, rooting young adults in missions was really revolutionary for their identity as Christians. And so as we started leading the planting of a church, we were saying, how could we give people this experience even if they can't leave the country for a year? And so all along it was, how do we do spiritual formation for missionaries? As the church developed, I was looking for resources for that connected with Forge America at the Exponential Conference and dug in a little bit.
0: You're one of the reasons why we love going to the Exponential Conference.
2: Yeah, I tell you what, it is always difficult to like come to grips with the idea that there is a church growth industry. But when the, when good people get in the same place, it can be really encouraging and edifying. I have children playing at my house too, in case you hear them.
0: All right. So t- uh, tell us a little bit about the church, man. Tell us a little about Wellspring. You guys launched in 2015. So what's that like being the uh, pastor of a church?
2: We are seven years old. And uh, I've been doing, I've been uh, pursuing a bivocational approach to ministry for the last five or six years. I I like that as a philosophical option. So a lot of people, I'll tell them, hey, I pastor by vocation. They're like, oh, so one day, do you want to be a full-time pastor? And I say, well, ideally, no, right? Like I'd like to, uh, philosophically, I like uh, having another job alongside a pastor in the church. So we are seven years old, which really like is a Sort of a strategic turning point. A lot of elements of our identity are beginning to solidify. At the same time, we're having to wrestle with where like, where we're intentional about our model and where we're falling into default. So we're having to wrestle with that. God is bringing forward awesome leaders. And uh, I get to be a part of kind of pulling them together and, and resourcing them. So I'm enjoying that.
0: Well, explain to us how, you know, around the country, different hub leaders do their hubs differently. So can you kind of unpack how Forge the Land and Wellspring, how that all works for you?
2: So the way that we've settled into it working is my primary focus right now is trying to establish Wellspring as a sort of, I, I don't want to say hub because that will be redundant language, but establishing Wellspring kind of as a bellwether for missional engagement within our community. So the idea being that like, if you are in our community and you know Wellspring people, you have a picture of what it looks like for people to live life on mission together. And then we're just really not territorial about people. So as we engage in relationship with folks in our community, if you attend worship at another church, that's fine. But if you're compelled by being involved in life on mission together with us, we'd love to resource you. So we are finding that there are people who are committed to worshiping at their church. But for whatever reason, they're coming into our relational sphere and and we resource them missionally and they continue to be a part of another church. Uh, And so I'm excited for the next couple of years how that might grow so that perhaps one day it becomes beneficial to branding wise have forged a land as a brand so that other churches aren't scared of what we're doing. But right now it works just to be Wellspring.
1: It's really fascinating. I I like that idea. Um, I'm kind of curious. You mentioned a little bit about one potential kind of barrier where, you know, anytime a church takes the lead on something, other churches can get a little spooked, especially when it comes where if if our people mix, then there's a whole thing. And If you're a pastor listening to this, you know exactly what we're talking about. Outside of that, I'm kind of curious, what have been some of the barriers uh, that your you, yourself and your team has had to navigate as you guys kind of create this? Really, uh, I, w- I think it's kind of a unique posture that uh, that a church can take.
2: Yeah, so I would say some of those barriers are like, you know, I talked about earlier how we want to figure out how can we be a, be a church of missionaries. And really, like when we started the church, in my mind, I would, like I had even a specific family where I was like, here's a family, they've got a couple of young kids, um, they're maybe a married couple in their late 30s or 40s, and I had had an experience as a 22-year-old going around the world, and I was trying to figure out how do I bring them that experience in their everyday life, right? So I was like, how do we shake people out of their defaults about what their Christian life looks like into something that is more missional? And what I found was people weren't as excited for change as, as I was. So I'm the kind of person that like, if change isn't happening, I'll go make change just because I like to shake things up. But there are a lot of people who are very comfortable in what church means to them. And so for us to be able to uh, be a place where people can feel comfortable, but at the same time, present them with opportunities to change, uh, we can sometimes have to hold that intention.
1: Yeah, and I would imagine that's going to take a lot of time to kind of build that type of posture where, you know, you, you can make an announcement, you could say something, you can even cast a vision towards it, but that's, that's going to take a lot of time and practice over that time to be able to really do that. Well, well people really do feel comfortable, but man, I think it's, I think it's admirable. I think, uh, I think that's where the church has to move uh, in the future.
2: But that's been a challenge for me as a leader. It's like I'll present a concept or an idea or a paradigm and then three or six months later, we come back and somebody's not living out of that paradigm. I'm like, "What do you mean?" I explained this in the fall. Why don't you get it already? You know. But uh, it, it, it's a thing like driving and creating culture. You're right; it takes time and intentionality, uh, and it's sort of never done, right? Uh, so because you're if you're constantly integrating new people, you're constantly resetting culture, and that's really what we're talking about: is not just creating programs, but actually developing a culture within a community of people that builds and sustains a missional focus.
0: So tell us a little bit about this side hustle that you got, Clarity Navigator. Mm -hmm. What is that all about?
2: Yeah, so I help churches clarify who we are and where we're going as congregations. I'm certified in tools that were created by an organization called Oxano led by Will Mancini. I'm certified in those tools and then I've picked up some other skills along the way. I, I work with churches in a variety of capacities, helping them to name their mission and values develop a, a, a discipling strategy, and then create strategic plans uh, over over a five to 20 year period. Like that's the range of, their, of the vision that they would be casting. So I do that in a, I mean, the, the generic term would be in, a, in the role of a consultant. I, I try to take a coaching approach, uh, but also still do offer advice. Really like my income generation is split about 50, 50. And then one of the things as we grow is like that business for me has the potential to grow. So uh, what role do I continue to play in the church? What role do I play in that work? Uh, How do those fit together is something we'll continue to navigate moving forward.
0: So if churches or pastors want to get a hold of you, I know that the website is claritynavigator.com. So can they just find you there or is there an email they can get a hold of?
2: I can. They can email me at jacob at claritynavigator.com. Uh, But yeah, I have a contact form on that website, and I think probably my phone number's on there or something. And like where I think that work intersects with my engagement with Forge is the core of the content that I'm facilitating when I work with churches is summarized in Will Mancini's book, Church Unique. And the subtitle of Church Unique is how missional leaders create and capture culture. But what I find is like the core principles of Church Unique are about getting the church focused outward. And developing a disciple-making culture, a missional disciple-making culture. So really, the concepts of Forge and the concepts of Church Unique really do dovetail pretty well. And so I find that very often I'll reference Forge concepts in my role as a navigator inside of a church, uh, and, and that works out really well.
1: And I,
0: and I believe Papa Hirsch wrote the forward on that book as well. Yes, he did.
2: You're right. You're right. He did. So it makes sense that that That's the right. concepts dovetail.
0: Well, obviously, Jacob, you're somebody who, um, you know, you're a pastor of a church, you work with a lot of churches around the country, around the area, so you've networked, you've been listening to churches. And so one of the questions we've been asking as this season has been going on is, you know, at first we started asking it as, you know, hey, as we're coming out of COVID, and I don't know if we're coming out of COVID, I don't know what's going on, if it's the fourth wave, the Delta variant, whatever we're in, but in the situation that we find ourselves in now, as we are navigating these waters, you know, a year and a half looking at, you know, however long it's been since quarantine, we've been asking what are the the questions the church should be asking? So in your role as a pastor, as someone who helps churches clarify their vision and where they're going and how they're doing all this stuff, what do you feel like some of the questions the church should be asking right now? I think one of the best
2: questions to ask when it feels like everything has changed is what hasn't. So, like, I think a lot of churches feel as though they have to completely start from scratch. And like rethink everything about who they are. And wh- where that, where is that going to be a profitable exercise? I think also they need to remember that like there are some things about who they are as a church that are, that have not changed. Well, one of the places where I'm consistently lately talking churches, I-, I would say talking churches off the cliff, like in terms of like they're ready to take a big leap into something is in how much digital presence they have. So I have churches who had zero digital presence prior to COVID who now think they have to be like, they have to do everything digitally. And, and a part of that, I would say to a church of the day, I was like, as a church, as a church professional, everybody in my professional world has been telling me for the last two years, you have to go online, you have to go online. But when I step back and think about for Wellspring, for example, like, does that actually make sense for our strategy and for our culture? No, it doesn't actually. Like a lot of what we do is about intimacy and vulnerability. And so like, those are things about us that have not changed in the season of COVID. Like, we are still a church that prioritizes intimacy and vulnerability. So for us to broadcast our entire worship service online does not make sense. So I think that's what churches need to ask themselves. It's like, it seems like everything has changed, but what are the things that haven't changed? And how can we build on those? Because those are probably the constants that God's spirit has put in their church uniquely. And so I think that's certainly one of the things churches should be thinking about.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great little concept. And it, and it goes back to full circle what you're good at, which is like saying, hey, It's clarifying what it is that your church is all about at this time, right? And and if anything, hopefully COVID has done that. It has been a series of, you know, a season of upheaval, a season of what's going on, how do we do this, blah, blah, blah. And everybody was looking for some of those quick fixes. And, And again, we're all experimenting. We're all trying to figure it out. But this idea of saying, hey, what actually is core to who you are and how are you going to continue doing that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question.
2: And that, that's even something I, I talk about with individuals. So actually, in my Clarity Navigator work, I'm starting to do some gospel-centered life design work. And this is something I picked up in my short-term missions experience is the, the program we were a part of you know, over 10 years ago now uh, takes young adults to 11 countries in 11 months. So the program still exists. Uh, we were involved really early. And and when we did that trip, people would say, like, oh, my goodness, was that difficult or or how could you even you know, learn anything or because we're moving so fast. And what I found was like because everything around me was changing, I had a really easy way to identify who I was because those were the things that didn't change. Right. So like if I go to 11 different countries and I have the same emotional struggle in all 11 places, that's probably a me issue. Right. And so then I'm able to go like, now I can clarify identity. And where I saw folks in that season getting tripped up was when young adults who don't know who they are, go from experience to experience to experience to try to figure out their calling when they're not clear on identity. And so the same thing can happen for a church. I'll adopt this program. I'll adopt this approach. I'll adopt this strategy. I'll go from one thing to the next without ever stopping long enough to wrestle with who I am. And so COVID is just another one of those distractions potentially for churches that keeps them from identifying who God has really made them to be.
1: Jacob, I I like that idea of identity. You'd mentioned that almost at the, 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 the jump of the podcast where you talked about training these individuals to that mission is kind of the thing that helps real almost kind of set their identity for the rest of their, 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 their life and their faith. You're now talking about the idea of how how does a church find its identity, which that's something that I've been in my own coaching and consulting that I've been doing uh, over the last 10 years as well. And so I'm really fascinated with the idea of how a church really determines identity and not in a way where it gets tossed uh, from side to side because every, every idea, every thought that gets thrown out there is it, it causes it to, to flip one way or another. I'm listening to a podcast that I won't mention, but it's talking about the history of the, uh, the emergent church and some of those things. And I remember being a church planter during that time, you know, we planted our church 14 years ago, 15 years ago, and the, kind of the, the the beginnings of all of those sorts of things. And it's just so funny how, things kind of happen and you see how different organizations have different experiences, but it helps shape their identity, but shapes their identity in a negative way, Uh, not in a true this is who you are as the the people of God. And so I'm kind of curious, it sounds like you do this work as well. What are you seeing with your churches, maybe even pre-COVID of how identity is so, so foundational in helping a church understand what how you operate, what you give your resources to, what you give your time to, what you give your mental capacity to as well.
2: That's a big question. So I'm thinking about like the the question was how does the church's identity shape how they prioritize resources and allocate and allocate resources whether whether they be financial human or or intellectual capital? And I think like what I find often is like even even once churches have named some clear disciple making purpose like you were referencing that podcast that that actually catalogs eras of church growth some recent eras of church growth and i think like that's the the social context of our churches is usually church growth best practices that tell us how to spend our resources again whether they be financial uh, intellectual, human resources, whatever. And most of the churches I'm working with before they've done clarity work, they're just following some specific church growth paradigm. And so I worked with a large church in Cleveland that had a really strong staff and 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 they grew a lot in the mid nineties. So their strategy was have a bunch of programs, uh, have just a, offer a bunch of programs and services. And so that when they came up against the challenge, that was their default answer, was how can we launch more and different programs? Uh, then I, I worked with a church that, that was about, that's about 80 years old, 100 years old, uh, in a college town. And we, were, we went through an exercise for them to try to identify uh, what are the things that compete for the identity of their church, and they couldn't agree. And as we discussed, it, we realized that's because they didn't know who they were, other than just being the Lutheran church in that town. Right, And so like they didn't have an identity. So then actually the, the reason I was working with them was because they were at a crossroads as a congregation and they were going, we don't know what to do next because we don't have a clear identity. Uh, and just being Luther- the Lutheran church in town doesn't help us anymore. So what should we do? Churches that I work with, like, we're able to craft, and we say all churches are called to glorify God and make disciples, uh, but how is your church called to do it uniquely? And so then underneath that heading, we're crafting mission statements like um, exchanging everyday life for contagious Christian community or working together to serve, uh, working together to follow Christ, joyfully serving our neighbors or our mission around Wellspring is we are a people finding our home in Jesus and living God's callings together. And so it's statements like these can start to become a compass that help you figure out what your true north is when the storm comes. So that uh, exchanging everyday life for contagious Christian community was the mission for that large church in Cleveland, uh, because what they were saying was like, "Hey, there's a there's a better life, and it's the better life is grounded in Jesus, and we're going to give you tools and resources to exchange your everyday life for the better life that of contagious Christian community." And so then that can become it, it can become a really the beginning of a conversation. If we're in a difficult spot, or we're coming out of COVID, or we have to figure something out having some language that can begin a conversation uh, because that's often the problem is we just don't know where to start. And so we grab at copycat models or programs or strategies that we see somewhere else to try to figure out what to do next. Cause we don't know how to have a conversation.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I love about uh, uh, Will's and um, Mancini's work is the emphasis of the Holy spirit and prayer, because, you know, he even references the idea of getting in the upper room get into the upper room and really pray and seek out the spirit for like what is next let the spirit really speak and affirm your identity but a lot of churches what we what we often see is they're they're following they're just following the trends like what are the trends what are what are the you know Outreach magazine hits the hits the I, I don't know. I still get outreach magazine. I I, I got a free subscription, a free one year subscription 14 years ago as a church planter. And they're like, hey, do you want to pay and keep getting this? And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to give money to this. And I've gotten every issue for 14 years. <laughs> it keeps coming. But and 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 at, at times it's good, and you know, Hugh Halter had an had a, had a uh, an article in that a monthly article for for years. And again, I'm not I don't want to bag on Outreach Magazine, but it's that it is a resource that tends to highlight a trend, and then churches will take a trend and then like oh this will this will become our identity, and it, it's it, it's it's reminiscent of an adolescent on Instagram. That's like, oh, this is the cool thing to do. I'm going to start mimicking this until you see something else. And you would even mentioned earlier how churches just go from one thing to another to another. And they never slow down and stop to reflect and
0: who, who who we are as a, a people of God. Well, and I would suspect it's because... None of us, at least none of the people that I interact with, none of us have been trained in how to think like that. Like the, the stuff that you're talking about, Jacob. I mean, we're pastors. We know how to put together Bible studies, preach, you know, community, all of those things. But leading an organization, leading a movement, none of us, I don't remember any class, anybody talking about that. All of a sudden you're thrown into an inherited, most of us are usually thrown into an inherited movement if you go to a church. Or you're gonna go start one and you're basing it out of a movement, you know, some church planning movement has has launched you or anything like that. And so you've inherited practices and models. No one's taught you how to think this way. And so this part of me is like, it's that it's that, you know, ah, you don't know what you don't know, <laughs> right? And so it is. You're you're wanting to do the best and the new thing comes along and you're like, Yeah, this may be it. Not not casting it within the vision of what your church is about, which I think is what you're trying to do, Jacob, and that's brilliant.
2: Yeah. And I think, uh, thank you. And uh, I think that like what you're saying is is true, is that um, vision, clarity of purpose, those things require muscles that we often don't use. I, I was just, I, I did the very, I did our very first vision framing session with a church this last Thursday. So it's fresh in my mind, but a lot of what we've been dancing around will calls think holes, T-H-I-N-K holes. And it's a play on words to uh, to compare to sinkholes. So in Florida, we have these things called sinkholes. And uh, a sinkhole is when the water underneath the ground erodes erodes away the foundation of a structure. Uh, and you, you can't see it above ground, but the structure is getting softer and softer until everything above collapses in. And so what Will is saying is there are these things that happen in our mind, these modes of thinking we have that erode, erode away the structure of our organizations. We don't realize it until it collapses in on itself. So th- there are things like the competency trap, like like I think Alan was just referencing. Like I oh I have so much competence I don't need to think, right? So then when trouble comes, what do I do? If, if I think I don't need to think, when trouble comes, I just work harder, right? Or the ministry treadmill is one of the ones I referenced earlier. Like uh, the w- we think the answer to everything is add more programs. So when trouble comes, we just add more programs. And these are ways to avoid thinking deeply about what we're called to do when really we need to have clear thought and intentionality behind our work. And that's what shores up the foundation that, that Christ has established.
1: So Jacob, uh, I know a little bit about your story at Wellspring and and the emphasis and really the importance that you guys put on your own identity as an organization as a church. And so I know that you guys have a heart for mission, uh, for equipping and mobilizing your people. I'm kind of curious in your own church's identity. uh, What how are you guys pivoting and like what goals and plans are you guys creating in the next? Two, three, five years—that uh, you're excited about.
2: Yeah, we're currently in the middle of a five-year vision, five-year goal to to launch ten missional communities by our tenth birthday. And and missional community is a word a lot of people grab and then define how they want. So for us, we've defined it how we want, which is uh, ten to forty people who do everything a church does except Sunday. So in our denominational tribe, uh, there's some there's some. Some connection to specific things that happened on, on Sunday with clergy. So we can't really call them micro churches, but we say like uh, a, a missional community disciples each other, meets together regularly, cares for one another, serves together. Uh, so we're trying to get 10, you know, groups of 10 plus people who meet at least twice a month to be community to each other and serve the neighborhood together. So last fall in the middle of COVID, we said, uh, hey, we want to launch our first two. We ended up launching three and that's been great as the like strategic planning person. I was like, we were evaluating the year and I was like feeling kind of bad about how they looked. Cause they weren't like completely formed, you know, communities. And we were with our leadership team. And I was like, so what are we celebrating? And then one guy goes, I mean, we're doing it. He's like, we had people in our house and we're committed to each other. I was like, Oh, that is worth celebrating. So, uh, so, so we're coming into the fall planning to train and retrain missional community core teams. I'm I'm excited about how that's happening. I'm going to be using some really sp- some particular components of the Forge training uh, as we do as we as we train and equip those core teams.
1: Yeah, that man, that's so great. Uh, I love that you guys are committed to that and, and seeing new communities formed out of that. Is, is there anything particular that you guys, from a strategic level, that you are finding helpful to launch these things?
2: I think like two things. One is being completely free, giving missional, co- missional community core teams the freedom to launch however they want. Mm. So I think that was helped us overcome a, a barrier to starting, just saying yes and going, okay. just do community just, and, and, and provide coaching and, and, and connection along the way, but don't put a lot of parameters on it. And then now, and what's, what that's actually allowed us to do is the core teams are coming back going, okay, we would like a little more direction. And so, uh, so coming into this fall, I'm going to prepare like three or four different outlines for what the next, for like what a nine month season could look like for them. And so, and then let them choose kind of what focus do you want to take? And one of those is still completely like low, like low bar of expectation, just do relationship. You might, depending on your context, you might need to spend nine months just doing relationship. But also we've got some resources around training people into life rhythms, or we use the tangible kingdom primer kind of as an introduction to missional community. And so you can you could run one of those one of those tools in the coming nine months as well.
0: Yeah, I love that because one of the things I love about this conversation, especially when you talk about missional communities or anything like this, is the need, the desire to experiment. And I love how you give your communities the freedom to experiment, the, the freedom to say, hey, what's working? What's not working? How do we how do we move forward in this? And that's one of the things, you know, here in Knoxville, when I'm talking to different people, everybody's looking for that proof of concept or they're saying, hey, where where's this working? Where's this been proven before? And you're like, eh it's all kind of an experiment things work all over the place and they may work on one part of town here but it may not work in your part of the town and so you have to have a little ingenuity a little creativity and a, and a little bit of a an opportunity to fail you know like fail and then celebrate the failure and move on and say what do we learn and how how is god going to continue working so that's that's great man Yeah, I think you hit some key elements, Uh, at least
1: everything that I'm coaching and I'm always hounding people on. You you just nailed it. I mean, the idea of keeping it, keeping the bar low for participation, the more, the, the, the easier we make it for people to participate. That's a huge win. And then the action reflection aspect of it. You have to give people space to kind of process what's working, what's not working and what next steps are. Uh, and that's where I love how you've, you've done a fairly good job of uh, mixing the consulting and the coaching, which, you know, if you're a hardcore coach, you're like, Oh, consultings are the bad guy. And if you're a consultant and it's like, well, coaches just coach. Cause they don't know anything. I'm like that. I, I think we're, we're simpatico. Cause we're both in that middle where it's like, no, 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 it's good to be a consultant, but it's also really good to be a coach. There's really brilliant elements of both of those postures. And you're, you're kind of putting that in this missional community uh, methodology. And I think, that's going to serve you well uh, down the road. Well, cool, Jacob, man. Thank you for being on the podcast, dude. Thank you for sharing your story. And for anyone that is considering evaluating your current uh, your current situation with your church, man, I, I highly recommend you reach out to Jacob. Uh, you can find him at claritynavigator.com. His information's on there, uh, or you can email him at jacob at claritynavigator.com. Uh, you can also find uh, his his information on the Forged America website because he is a proud member of the tribe and we love him. So dude, thank you again for being on here. Uh, organizational leadership is my jam. Uh, I think we're like the two guys in the tribe that really just hound it over and over again. And so uh, for that man, I love you for being my my comrade uh, in organizational leadership. The church needs more of it. Uh, we have too many MBAs, uh, in the church. We need less MBAs and more organizational leadership guys. So, uh, well, dude, we've been ending, uh, all of our podcasts this season, uh, with a segment we're calling five quick questions. And so I'm just going to fire hose you with some questions and we'd love to hear, uh, kind of your responses to those. Uh, so the first one is what have you been reading lately?
2: Uh, currently I'm working with a church. I'm working with two churches that have some pastoral succession happening. So I'm reading a very vanilla book called next pastoral succession that works. It's like 10 years old, but one of my client pastors said that they had read it as a board. So I like, I guess I should read it. so I know what they read. Uh, but right, right before this, I read a book called how the word is passed. That is like a poet who went to like 10 different sites that are, that are important to the history of slavery in America and then wrote about his experiences there. And that was, that was really fascinating and eye-opening for me.
1: Oh, what's the name of that one?
2: That's called How the Word is Passed.
1: How the Word is Passed. Ah, oh, that's brilliant. Uh,
2: by Clint Smith.
1: Clint Smith, okay. And then who, do you know who wrote the next
2: book? Next is um, w- William Vanderblom and then Warren Bird.
1: Okay, Vanderblom. Okay, all right, cool. Right on, man. Yeah, that second one, that's fascinating. I've, I've heard of that one. I'm going to have to check that out.
2: Yeah, he went to like a couple of different plantations and then he went to like the place in West Africa where they say it's like one of the last stops before slaves came to America and stuff. Just wrote about his experience. It was pretty fascinating.
1: Wow, that's awesome. Uh, All right, uh, question number two. uh, What have you been watching? Anything good?
2: Uh, Well, Ted Lasso season two just started. So we, we hopped on that. But also my wife and I really actually really like a show called Making the Cut. Uh, with Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn okay so it is it's fashion designers and nice. it's, uh, it's on Amazon Prime uh, so that's a good one
1: nice very cool I like Tim Gunn he always cracks me up
2: yeah man, I mean I like Tim Gunn talking about coaching that dude like the questions he asks people to help them get their design right are fantastic really? Tim Gunn is one of the best question askers I've ever I've ever seen
1: Nice. Yeah, my go-to question asker is Anthony Bourdain. Uh, oh yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Master at asking questions and just the, the just being curious. Uh, man, he was so good at that. And so, yeah. uh, all right. Cool. Uh, number three. What is the funniest thing uh, that happened during quarantine, uh, or something cool that's happened?
2: Well, I guess during the pandemic, we bought a farm. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so we bought, so we bought, uh, 19 and a half acres with a hundred plus year old farmhouse. We bought it in like August of 2020 and I was like, yeah, we'll renovate the whole thing and be in by Thanksgiving. And now like, hopefully we're in by in a couple of weeks. So, uh, so it's been a long road, but it's a 120 year old house and so we took it all apart and put it back together with some help, of course. Uh, and, and one day my, my wife's horses will be on there one day, like hopefully within the next 12 months, my right. wife's horses will be there. And that's been, that's been our, our, our COVID project.
1: That's that's pretty impressive. That's awesome. <laughs> Number four, which this might be lined right up in there. Uh, what is bringing you life right now? What's bringing you joy?
2: Oh, uh, well, I would say that there have been waves of joy in that project, but also waves of despair. So I don't know if that's the <laughs> clear answer. This week, this week, I'm trying to, my kids made a bucket list for the summer. And one of the items was to play mini golf. I don't know that they've ever played mini golf. They're six and four. And so uh, we live in central Florida. So I found that Disney has a mini golf course called Fantasia Gardens. And uh, I'm going to try to see if we can go there this weekend. So this week, I'm excited to plan that outing for them. So, uh, So that's going on this week.
1: Well, it's funny because when I think of mini golf, I think of Orlando because you just seem to see them on every corner. You know, yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, apparently, I think Myrtle Beach probably has more mini golf per capita, okay. but I would imagine Central Florida's probably doing it better.
1: There you go. Yeah. Well, you've got the Disney factor, and so, right. so, right. so everybody so, ups their game. And I didn't even know. So Disney has its own mini golf spot.
2: So apparently, there's two there's many, there's Fantasia gardens and Fantasia fairways and Fantasia fairways actually has like sand traps and rough and all this stuff. So my really? kids are a little too young for that, but I might need to make it back there.
1: Wow. Dude, I know what we're doing. Next time we go to expo, man, like <laughs> 2022 yeah. in Orlando, we're going to go yeah. do some hardcore mini golf. That's awesome.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, cool, man. I hope you guys enjoy that. Uh, and then that, the, my last question, uh, what, what's your favorite thing about the land?
2: The land is awesome because it is like the definition of eclectic. One of the first times like we knew we were planting up here, but we hadn't moved up here yet. So we came up for a music festival. And uh, so there's like a music festival with like 15 different stages around town. People are just walking all over and it's just like, and there's hundreds of different acts and we're hanging out at a bar where, you know, everybody has had plenty to drink. And there's like, there's like people who are college age, because we're a college town. And then there's like this older couple in leather that were like hanging out right alongside of them. And we're like in the middle of it and everybody's just hanging out and really relating to each other. Uh, so Deland is off of interstate four enough to still be weird, uh, but close enough to Orlando and Daytona to still have enough going on. So, uh, so it's pretty cool. So, so I like that eclectic kind of in between nature.
0: Well, Jacob, thank you so much for the time, man. Really appreciate uh, the work that you're doing. Appreciate the the fact that you're part of our tribe and just how you come alongside churches. So thank you so much for what you're doing, man. Really appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, guys. It was great.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, if you would like to get a hold of us, feel free to reach out to us at ForgeAmerica.com. You can find our information there. And make sure to pass the podcast along if it's been helpful to you. uh, Subscribe do the stars, whatever you have to do, feel free to do all that. But we'd love to hear from you uh, and love to hear from you about maybe some future topics or some future ideas that we can kind of get into because we want this podcast to serve our tribe and the pastors and the listeners who, who actually spend the time to listen to it. So thank you for doing that. And until next time, we'll see you later.